0: So I have to ask you two guys, I want you guys to reveal your, your underwear routine.
1: This is The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Hey everybody,
0: welcome back to The Greg Cody Show. Before we get started today with this newest edition of the program, I, I feel the need to assure listeners of something, uh, in case you've been wondering. I do have on a fresh pair of underwear today. Okay, for this occasion. I know on the on the Levitard show um, last week, I dared to mention that I sometimes go two straight days uh, without changing underwear, and and it everybody was aghast. It's like there was an outcry. Uh, You'd have thought I had had admitted to storing human corpses in my basement freezer. Um, So I have to ask you two guys: Am I that wrong on this subject? Am I alone here? I want you guys to reveal your your underwear
2: routine. Yes, you are that wrong and you are that messed up. This is <laughs> you are my hero, brother. And <laughs> I am not Trying to make you feel bad, but this is terrible.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Juju, I can't be perfect. For those of you who don't
3: recognize that voice because Greg failed to introduce him, that is Juju Gotti.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. But yeah, you're not perfect, big brother, but you can change the drums. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. I, I'm going to try to get better about that. But, uh, you know, I never go a week or three days. I'm talking about two days for Christ's sake.
3: It is in Florida. Yeti, what about you? I'm in every day. There is the rare occasion where it might bridge over into the second day but it's that's really 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 rare i have to be really tired and and not have gotten like sweaty throughout the day i shower every night like i i hate going to bed without a shower so uh it's rare occasion but almost almost always gotta change them greg
2: i'm bougie i get a pack of underwear and i wear them once and i just throw them away as i go and i just buy new underwear every week <laughs> what <laughs> <I mean. laughs> I used to be homeless, you know what I mean? This is a luxury to me.
1: (laughs) Wow.
0: That's crazy. Uh, by the way, um, uh, Christopher, who's usually in here, is, uh, is not here because uh, he vacated South Florida and is vacaying somewhere, I think, in South Carolina. I don't even know. But um, he'll be back next week. Hey, we don't talk sports much on what ostensibly but barely is a sports podcast. But what a time of year. Um, I'm preparing to go cover game one of the Panthers Tampa Bay Lightning playoff series. Inter-Miami and the Marlins are both playing. The Dolphins' schedule is out in their rookie mini-campus ending. Chris Bosh is about to get elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame if there's any sliver of justice left in the world, um, which reminds us the Heat closed their regular season Sunday and await their first round playoff matchup. And and by the way, did either of you guys see the
2: Udonis Haslam thing the other night? That made my night. Oh my God. Yes, it He's the greatest of all time. Shouts out to UD. He just he earned, he earned every penny of his contract last night. He did. My favorite part was seeing how excited Dan
3: Lavatard got on Twitter. Like he was really legitimately fired up, and that that just made me all the more excited for everything that was going on. It was great, right? And it felt because like it was Dwight Howard. It's like, yeah, watch out. You know what I mean? Get
0: out. I mean, you don't. You know, he, Dwight knocked. Udonis on his ass, and you don't do that to the OG in his own building. I mean, it, it the way Udonis reacted, I thought, was just precious. Here's a 41-year-old guy playing in his first game of the season. He's on the floor for like a minute and a half, and uh, and he's, he scores two quick buckets, and then he gets ejected. It was just sublime. And and um, that's so classy of Spolstra to, to find a way to get him in, and, which you knew he would, but uh, that had to be a special moment for the fans as well. They should make a banner out of that
3: and put it up. Up in, uh, right, just a video screen of that on loop up in the yeah, Raptors. Right.
0: <laughs> oh, when when the Heat do their highlight reel uh, from the regular season to, to hype the playoffs, you know that's going to be in there. Oh, yeah right up with uh, all the great dunks and and all that stuff Hell yeah well hey i, I want to tease the show a little bit because we have a we have a big one here we have um in addition to juju sitting in with us, uh with uh yeti and i we have the the one of the weirdest guests in history because they're two uh teenage twins named aiden and maxwell resnick they're stat freaks analytic wonderkins uh in other words they are real nerds and 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 i say that lovingly because um lovingly yeah i, I really do they um they authored a book called *The Stats Game*: A Deep Dive into Sports Analytics in the Modern Era. Uh, it's about how, you know, how and why sports analytics have sort of changed the way franchises and teams operate. Uh, it, it's against everything I stand for because I, I I like to know less about stats than more. But I'd like you uh, listeners to imagine a younger Chris Whittingham. Only there are two of them, and and each one is trying to seem smarter than the other. So um. You know, the, 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 this, is, this is a weird interview. It's either going to leave you uh, enlightened or uh, or annoyed. So we're, we're going to find find out that in a little bit. But uh, right now, I got, um, this happened to me a few weeks ago. You guys may remember. Um, Joe Biden keeps calling me. You know, we've, uh, the Cody's have developed a little bit of a relationship with him. And I don't take his calls because it's always sort of nutty why he's calling me. And uh, so he left another message for me. And um, I want to play it for you all right now.
3: Just leave your number, cause I ain't at home. Home. Just leave your name and number, cause I ain't at home.
4: Hey GC, it's Joe. I need your advice on something. You got a dog and a cat, right? Well, explain to me how they get along. Cause I grew up in a dog family in Scranton. We never had a cat. Times were tough in Scranton. Dad would sit around the kitchen table and say, I'm working like a one-armed paper hanger to put food in our mouths without worrying about cat food. Now Jill wants to bring a cat into the White House. Gee, see, I'm more nervous than a pregnant nun. i got enough problems with my shepherd, Major, biting people. My press secretary, Jen, makes fun of me all the time. Says I should be called Joe Biting. I'm worried this new cat won't last two days around Major. The fur is going to fly, as my dad used to say, sitting around the kitchen table in Scranton. Dad spent a lot of time sitting at that kitchen table, now that I think about it. Anyway, GC, I need some intel on how you got your cat and dog to get along and fast, because Jill's hellbent on this. I'm already imagining TMZ with footage of a dead cat in the Rhodes Garden. It'd be the lead story on Fox for a week. Get back to me, GC, on this before Major starts getting that look in his eye. Hang on. He's running after the Undersecretary for Nuclear Security. Major! Major!
0: All right, Joe, uh, maybe next time I'll pick up the call. By the way, uh, Biden's answering machine was paid for by the Greg Cody Show's brand new sponsor that we're introducing today, Nellie's
2: Diner. Yeah, Nellie's Diner. There's no dilemma where I'm eating dinner tonight. Hell yeah, that's all meat at Nellie's.
1: It's the sight, the sound, the smell of it Morning, night, or noon It's the feeling you're
3: always welcome And when you leave, see.
0: back in time when you step into Nellie's Diner. It's the only place in town to taste Wild Bill Cody's Bison Burger, deep fried in Nana's 100-year-old lard. Or try a tall stack of our award-winning P.F.B.I. pancakes. Dig into the signature thing a salad. Or try an Uncle Dick footlong. Anything you want and anytime you want it, we got it. All served up with a free side of smiles. We are right where we've been for 60 years at 1440 Zagaki Street downtown. Nellie's Diner. It's the taste of home you never had, because your mom sucked at cooking.
1: It's the taste of Nellie's Diner.
2: Ah, oh, man, the best part of waking up, man, with Nellie's Diner in my cup. That's a masterpiece. Play that at my funeral. Play that song. At
0: my- <laughs> All right. Well, welcome, Nellie's Diner. It's a beautiful place. I've been there myself, and um, it's uh, its just a wonderful joint to, to go. If you're ever um, in the area, please do stop by. Okay, now let's get to the book authors, um, Aiden and Maxwell Resnick, who wrote uh, a new book called The Stats Game. And if you all are into sports analytics, I think you're really going to enjoy this. It's it's an interesting conversation. We tried to have a little fun with it as well. And after these superstar twin wonderkind uh, authors, we're going to um, we're going to talk to Juju and Yeti about uh, the phenomenon of the Levitard Show fan. So you won't want to miss that. But here are the twins. We're happy to be joined here by uh, unusual guests and that they're so young. Uh, Aiden and Maxwell Resnick, they're, um, high school seniors. You guys are the, the youngest guests we've ever had on our podcast. So that's, that's something a little different. Uh, you're, you're both just turned 18.
5: That would be funny if they were different ages as they're twins.
0: <laughs> At any rate, um, This is interesting to me because when they were 17, they wrote a book, okay? When I was 17, I was playing Ms. Pac-Man and um, lamenting my lack of college scholarship offers. And these two got together and wrote a book called The Stats Game, A Deep Dive into Sports Analytics in the Modern Era. Guys, first of all, I have to ask you, what inspired you to write this dense book? Because it's it's not like a light book. It's uh, pretty serious. It's about as serious as sports can get, I guess. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, so
6: just for some background We've been big sports fans our whole life. You know, whenever there's baseball, hockey, football, basketball, tennis on, we're always interested in watching. So we've always had that component. And then sort of as a separate note, uh, we've always been very passionate about math and quantitative analysis, but it was, I guess, sort of due to the pandemic. You know, a lot of our plans over the summer last year uh, were canceled, and so we were left at home with not that much to do. And so we, you know, we said to each other, like, "Why don't we embark on this project that you know we'd have a lot of fun doing, and it would be really helpful for us, helpful for anybody who's interested in reading?" And so that's sort of how that started. And then, you know, the book really wrote itself. we we're, we're so interested and passionate about what we wanted to write about, that it we're really just putting our thoughts down on the page. And so it, it was a blast and we had a lot of fun doing it. And we're very glad that we did it.
0: How did you guys um, break it down? Like, w- was one of you mainly the researcher and the other was substantially the writer? Or was it pretty much an even mix of how it was actually produced, the book? So, I mean, we decided pretty
6: early on that we were going to have approximately 10 chapters. We ended up doing 10 exactly. Um, and and so we decided that uh, each of us would take the lead on on five of them. Overall, I mean, we kind of split it up, but we didn't really split it up entirely in the sense that my chapters were also his chapters and his were mine. and at the end like we have relatives who like have heard us talk about sports since we were three years old and they couldn't even differentiate sometimes if if I wrote a chapter or if, if Aiden wrote a chapter just
5: because we were both so mixed in there at the same time. Did you guys do a deep dive into the analytics of what the proper amount of chapters are to have in a book?
6: You know, in hindsight, maybe we should have. I think 10 was a good number
5: because we thought that like 9 or 11 or any
6: odd number sort of was like a little unsatisfying, I guess. So we definitely had ideas for other things to add, other things to pay out. But we really think that we went with the 10 best
5: or the best. Luckily, Luckily, you still have time to maybe write some other books in your life what in the book was the most contentious for you guys? Was there like anything, any topic in the book that you guys like butted heads on, you know?
6: Well, we didn't necessarily butt heads on this, but this is like a sort of like a, a controversial a- aspect of analytics. When, when I say the word analytics, a lot of people specifically in older generations automatically assume that that means, oh, data, numbers, all this math that people think that it, it could be ruining the way the game is supposed to be played. But really, analytics is more the study of information. Now, granted, I would say approximately 90% of of that information happens to come in numerical form. But that doesn't mean qualities that you cannot quantify. That doesn't mean that they're not important. They definitely matter. So I think that the second chapter of the book is titled, Do Not Exclude Qualitative Analysis. That basically walks us through the story of, of George Springer, the now Toronto Blue Jays center fielder. Uh, and most people know Springer for being able to hit 40 home runs in a season or really being one of the best players in baseball right now. But it wasn't always that easy for me. Springer is a guy who overcame a stutter at a very late age, at an age where for most people, if you still have a stutter by then, you're not likely to overcome it. He displayed something called the growth mindset. And that's a mindset that he's really internalized in baseball. You can't put that onto a box score or, I guess, in numbers, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. So that's one af- aspect of analytics that we want to, I guess, clarify overall. Yeah. And then I would also say, from my perspective, the next chapter is like avoid the eye test when possible. And for me, it was really fascinating
5: to write about the eye test. You know, like what about the sniff test? Yeah, yeah, what about <laughs> the sniff test. I don't like the. I'm with you on the eye test. The eye test is ridiculous, but the sniff test? Come on, man. Yeah, that's valid. That's valid. Aiden, try it out. Yes, I will. I will.
0: <laughs> I'm one of those old guys who uh, grew up in an age when if you were a baseball, and
5: really, it's hard to tell. And, we could not tell that you were one of the old guys,
0: and 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 you had a list of of all everybody's batting averages and RBI totals, and uh, you, you felt like. You know, you you had as much information as you needed. And now with all these analytics breaking everything down minutely, for example, now you can you can go someplace and find out how many steps or how many miles Steph Curry ran in a basketball game. So
5: old. You're so old.
0: To me, it seems like too much information. I get why if you're a general manager trying to compete now you need as much of this uh, mega information as you can get. My question is, how do analytics help me as a consumer enjoy sports more? I, I know that on the surface. I mean, even to us, I mean, we
6: were born in 2003, so like we've grown up basically in the era of analytics. But even so, I mean, sometimes there are statistics where I'm like, what on earth does that mean? And But right. the, the, the thing is, well, the thing that's important to recognize is that some of them are intentionally put on a scale that's easy to understand. Let me give you an example. One of the most Analytical statistics out there is a statistic called wins above replacement or war. Basically, that statistic tells you literally just that. How many wins above a replacement level player does someone provide? Mike Trout, good war. Yeah, exactly. So if you see, okay, this season, Mike Trout had 10 wins above replacement. That is easy to interpret. You can look at that and say, this season, if the Angels did not have Mike Trout and they had a replacement level player instead, they would have won 10 fewer games approximately. Now, that's not that's not to say that it, it's precise to the bone, but that does give you a very good idea of a player's value. One thing that we've both found to be fantastic is percentiles. Uh, You look at different analytics websites or analytics presentations, we'll use percentiles. So, you know, which is more telling? Juan Soto's ex-WOBO was 0.45 or Juan Soto's ex-WOBO was in the 100th percentile? Right, probably the latter because it sh- it sort of shows how he played with respect to the league average or the the remainder of the league at least. So um, I think that's just a really like simple way uh, to to make things easier because you know you could have the best stats in the world, but if they're not presented in a way that's easy to understand, they're completely meaningless.
0: Uh, I'm going to ask you a question about a random player down here in Miami, the Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa. I wonder if you know enough about him and his rookie season to have any opinion whether based on – analytics, uh, he's going to be a good quarterback? I know that's a general question, but that down here, there's a lot of debate. Is he going to be good? Should they trade to get Deshaun Watson? Tua Tagovailoa is one of the most complicated
6: quarterback prospects I've seen in my lifetime. Alabama quarterbacks statistically don't have a great track record in the NFL because oftentimes, I mean, their college statistics are just wildly inflated because they are playing with the most talented players in the country. Now. With that said, that doesn't mean I don't like Tua at all. I think it, it, it honestly angers me a little when I see people just automatically jump ship on Tua. I'm not saying he's going to be anything special, but we don't know yet. I think the Dolphins honestly have a very promising core. They, they had a very good defense this year. And if Tua can pick it up to like league average play this year, which is like baby steps. I mean, nobody's nobody's saying he should be Patrick Mahomes this upcoming season. But if he could pick it up to league average, then the Dolphins could very, very, very well fight for a uh, a playoff spot now also one, one thing I just want to add is uh if, if they do have the option to trade for Deshaun Watson like without giving everything I would dig it I mean Deshaun Watson's a guy where if you add that guy to your franchise you're instantly in playoff contention unless you, you're as pathetic as the rest of the Texans roster but yeah that's kind of my
5: sense. I didn't hear much analytics there but that was a great just breakdown of that situation right there like do you guys not do quarterbacks in terms of like deep analytics you could have been on like NFL live right there just breaking that down and that was solid
6: so, yeah, there are
5: analytics that are
6: telling of his performance, and overall, they're not in his favor. In In a year, a year and a half or so down the road, he hasn't shown any improvement. Then we could start talking, okay, maybe he is not the guy here.
0: We were speaking with Aiden and Maxwell Resnick, the teenage identical twins and uh, whiz kid co-authors of uh, The Stats Game, a new book about analytics. Not
5: completely identical. Not completely. I mean, maybe you guys are technically identical. Yeah. I could see. Yeah, you I'm, can tell my you. wife. Listen, guys, I'm a pro at this. My wife's a twin. Howl, mm-hmm. Okay. I'm in the club. I can tell my wife and her I can tell you apart. Okay. It's the hair mostly. Yeah. That is it is the hair actually. But um what's the end game here? In like five or six years, best case scenario, like what sports team are you guys running? I, I could just tell that's the end game for you guys. That's yeah, that's a tough question. Because I mean,
0: on
6: one hand, you know, we're eighteen years old, we're we're like still in high school. So on the surface, we'll take any job that's available to us. Like but I guess if we're talking about like our, our like our dream and like what the I guess the ultimate goal is. Baseball, I'd say a pro is it's the most quantifiable sport and so i think it's pretty clearly out of the big four american sports it's a pretty clearly the easiest to analyze the downside about baseball that i think we both agree on is that there's no salary cap and so naturally it's going to be incredibly difficult to manage a small market team uh they're not saying we're not up for the challenge but i think we're much more interested in in playing a game that's fair for everybody and not you know being like with like a team that that's paying their
5: players a third of what the Yankees are paying their players that it doesn't sound like they're taking this Marlins job. Doesn't sound like it. (laughs) <laughs> well, actually, let me just let me just throw this in there. I think, honestly, the ultimate goal
6: is would be, honestly, to lead a small market baseball team to a championship. Yeah. That's,
5: let, me, let me put it
6: this way. Let's go. No, honestly, guys, come on I down. Mean, Miami it,
5: is beautiful, guys. The beaches is,
6: <laughs> I, would, I would love to work for the Marlins one day. I mean, let me put it this way. Like, if you lead the Yankees to the championship, like, yeah, I mean, that's a great accomplishment. But, like, that's what they're supposed to do. The Yankees are that, I guess, Goliath team that's really supposed to go all the way. I mean, they're payable and everything. With that said, I mean, I'm not a Tampa Bay Rays fan, and I'm also not a New York Yankees fan. But seeing the Rays really like just knock off the Yankees, having Mike Brasso hit, hit a game-winning home run yeah. off of a Roldis Chapman, I mean, that like I'm getting yeah. chills just thinking about. it. I mean, that was like a, a, the, one of the biggest victories for analytics since Moneyball. That would have been the storybook ending to Moneyball the the un, the small guys really taking down taking down the big guys. That would honestly be the dream, in my personal opinion. But I think one thing that we're both really interested in, sort of. Uh, paving the way for a new generation, and so that's sort of we 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 had like a writing the book was like a small part of that. You know, there's so much work to be done. Like what we're saying to you guys today. I
5: guarantee in 10 years, it'll seem outdated and that's okay. Do you guys go to bed every night to Moneyball? Uh, you know, not quite. Although we're, <laughs> I think, you know, I've really been interested
6: like reading lately. Um, we, we both have always been interested, as I said, in math, statistics, computer science. But, you know, one thing that I think we've both really gained an appreciation for is the the idea of just decision making. The human brain is wildly imperfect. If we can understand, you know, exactly how to make decisions so that they can lead to the optimal outcomes, we believe that that's That's really the future of sports.
0: Do you guys ever um, lapse into sibling rivalry? Like, are, are there examples where you're arguing with each other or arguing who's the better chess player or anything like that? Or are you like constantly agreeable?
6: I mean, we never like I really debated like who's better at this. I think most of our arguments came about sports, like which player is better, which team is better. Right. why like you know we're big fantasy sports players and so naturally you know each baseball season or each football season we, we're set out to support 25 or I guess in football like 16 random players in this sport and so naturally that poses like 25 or 16 more random players to debate and so I would say as we've gotten older our debates and our arguments have gotten more productive and less like oh like, like this, player's no, this player's better, no this player's better, no this player's better, no this player's better, it's more like okay like why do you think this player's better and so on which is obviously good and i think that just comes with age and maturity but um yeah i think naturally twins and just honestly people who are really passionate about what they do are going to get into arguments sometimes he's not better it's
5: just because he's taking it more seriously
6: uh i would say before it's pretty even i'd say he's probably taking it more seriously now than i do uh before but i would be i still win i still win sometimes yeah we
5: have there it is let's get him fighting right but seriously who does
0: win when you guys play chess
6: yeah, I spend yeah. my time elsewhere. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I beat them comfortably usually.
0: Oh, there you go. All right, Maxwell, uh, uh, crowing and uh, strutting over here. OK, we're going to wrap this up soon, guys, but I want to leave you with this. And, and this question has, is about intangibles that really can't be quantified. In just about every sport, uh, coaches uh, worship, and most players do, worship the idea of team chemistry. Does that exist? Team chemistry absolutely does matter. And anyone who says it doesn't, it,
6: I mean, I, I, I will
5: rarely take the non-analytical side in arguments, but it, it definitely does. When's the last time you guys got yelled at by your parents for just doing something like really immature and stupid? Uh, it's a tough one. It, de-
6: it depends on what. if you count like, you know,
5: like talking
6: too much in the car than like, like an hour ago. <laughs> but, well, <laughs> uh, actually I, I have a fun example. We didn't necessarily get yelled at for this, but they weren't too thrilled. We have this nice little knee hockey set in our basement that we both love to go down there and play. And so we were, uh, staying at this apartment a couple weeks ago in new york city and um usually in an apartment you have to be very careful because you have neighbors both like below and to your sides and stuff like that um yeah so we brought uh the knee hockey set to the apartment and we spent hours just hacking away at it despite any complaints (laughs) and we were just going at it and yeah i mean my parents weren't they weren't mad but they weren't too thrilled about our choices there
0: um, we're going to wrap this up, uh, guys. I'm, I'm very grateful that you uh, came on with us. Uh, I'm going to make one last attempt to goad you into uh, sibling rivalry by asking, um, when we're off the air, uh, will, will one of you be seething because the other one did too much talking?
6: Uh, we have sort of a system where, uh, you know, when someone, well, we usually actually have a really good understanding of who should answer what question. You know, some, naturally, like, we've reached, one of us has research, researched an idea a little more than another person has. So that's not right. too much of a problem, I guess. Uh, every once in a while, we're like, like, why did you say that? Like, I could have given a better answer, but like, that's just like playful. <laughs> but, like, sometimes when I feel like like he's rambling off topic, or sometimes he feels like I'm doing it. Just because
5: I mean, it's something right. we love talking about so much. Where like afterwards, we're like, wait, what was the question? Who did the rambling here? Let's get let's do a little breakdown of this interview here. Like, what's the conversation going to be like after? Uh, I, think he, I so think he did. I think we so. have an interesting yeah.
6: conversation. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I think you both were good. A little long winded, but you guys are just smart dudes. So you got a lot to say. Um, your it was v- your sentences were re- really well structured. Um, I'm smart too. I just I didn't want to like make you guys feel bad. Okay. So I'm, just trying, I'm okay. like dumbing it down for you guys a little bit. I read your book last night too. It's a light read. Oh appreciate it. I'm young like you guys. Like he's an old one. I'm I'm just like you guys. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure you got through it in 20 minutes. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, Um, (laughs) no, I'm kidding. But what's the book that plug the book again for them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, Aiden and Maxwell Resnick, the young authors of the stats game, a deep dive into sports analytics in the modern era. Uh, thanks again, guys. And, uh, wish you all the best with the book and beyond. I have a feeling
5: we'll, uh, Probably be hearing from you guys again. And let me get tickets when you guys are running a team. Remember little old Chris and Greg who interviewed you guys. I
6: will do. You get season tickets to in
0: this game. more of of the facilities, too.
5: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Thanks, guys.
0: Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, thank you, guys. Uh, Boys, can I say that? I feel like they're younger than my sons. I don't know what to say. Go clean your
3: rooms. Gentlemen works. Or young lads.
0: <laughs> and young laddies. Good luck with the book. Um, I have a copy of it around here somewhere, but it would do me no good to hold it up because I'm on Zoom and this is an audio podcast. <laughs> um, anyway... <laughs> We're coming out of the kids now, and we're going into this conversation that I really want to have. It's about the phenomenon of the Levitard Show fan. It's incredible, and you guys sort of are Levitard Show fans. I mean, uh, legit. And the magic that the show has uh, with listeners, some of the most loyal fans, I think, anywhere. I, I sort of compare it to what Howard Stern has going on with his fans. But tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like the loyalty of the fans has been tested and only grown uh, with this recent move from espn and then becoming a pirate ship and 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 now um the the show's about to to dock with draftkings whole new venture um Juju, you you, you were a, a big fan who became a part of the show. You're now uh, the the social media director for The Levitard Show. Uh, Yeti, you're a huge fan who's, who's also become part of the extended family because your parody songs have appeared on the show, which is how I came to hire you recently as this podcast assistant producer. So I just want to hear from you guys mostly about what it is about the show that... Um, brings about an entire community of fans almost like a cult how did that happen do you think like
2: if for you guys in particular all right well i mean for the people out there who don't know this i got into the lebertar show um just listening to it because of you big brother you know what i mean i was down on my luck i was actually sleeping outside Things weren't going right in my life. And I had a a cell phone and I was like, what is ESPN at? What is this about? You know what I mean? And I seen you guys on there and you was talking about newspapers and newspaper (laughs) articles. And I was like, who is this clown? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Who is this? Who is this geezer? Right. i have been called (laughs) worse, by the way. But this was me down on my luck, so I was kind of frustrated, pointing it everywhere. You know what I mean? I'm looking at my phone frustrated, like, look at this guy, newspapers. And so... A couple of weeks go by and I realized, okay, you come on Tuesdays. And so you would always still preach about newspapers. And it sparked something in me that I believed in myself a little bit more after listening to you. Because newspapers, I mean, cover your ears, NSFW, newspapers are dead. You know what I mean? But you believed in them like as if they're the next hot thing coming out. And if you can believe in that dead horse I can believe in my damn self. So yeah, I decided to dust myself off and try harder. You know what I mean? That what I was going at at the time, which was music and just trying to find a career for myself. And with that belief, it sparked things happening. You know what I mean? So I got a tattoo of you on my leg and people in the hood was like, what in the world is that? You know what (laughs) I mean? Who who is that? And I explained it to one person (laughs) and they made me feel so awkward after explaining it to them that I said, I'm never explaining this shit again in my life. It was embarrassing. And so, but your involvement with the show drew me in. And then from there, I expanded on who is Billy? Okay, who is Chris? Oh, damn, that's your son? Oh, damn, okay, that's right. crazy. So, nepotism is alive and well. And um, <laughs> it's through guys, And it's like once, but you were the initial light that led me to, to shore. You know what I mean? Right. And so, again, another opportunity I get to tell you, thank you, man, because if it wasn't for you, I probably would still be in the streets doing a lot of negative things for a little bit of money. You know what I mean? Mm. So I appreciate you, Juju. That's uh, all amazing to hear, and uh, the the
0: idea that anybody would have a tattoo of me on their leg is uh, is a mind blower. But um, I, I think the the larger story, though, is that the Levitard show is a family that you can become a member of, almost like you 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 feel like you're a member of the family. And and I yeti try to explain what I can't because as as somebody who's integral
1: with the show, I I can't see it from a fan's perspective uh, like others can. Yeah. So. I I am... One of the first things I noticed about the show is the the
3: hijinks and like the fun, like they're they're entertaining. I mean, no one's going to listen to a show that isn't entertaining or informative, and preferably both. And, and And it's hard to find that balance sometimes. So the show has a really good balance of um entertainment, information. One of the first things I noticed was I, I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, the guys who used to be on the BBC's Top Gear, and then they went off and formed uh the the Grand Tour on Amazon Prime. And and I loved it because I enjoy cars. Like, I work on my own vehicles. I try to do all that stuff. But um, as far as following up with the latest cool cars and stuff, I-, I can't call myself like a gearhead or a petrolhead. But I loved that show because they talked about cars, but they really just used cars as a vehicle for hijinks and fun a- a- amongst three guys that have incredible chemistry. Um, and Dan, I noticed the same thing when when my friend finally got me to try out Dan and, and the whole crew. They've got incredible chemistry that use sports as the vehicle for their hijinks and they're fun basically it's like as the sports is an excuse for the this group of of buddies to get on and just on the radio and have just have
1: a great time so that was the first thing so you didn't discover the show it was recommended to you
3: Yeah, I've got a buddy, Daniel Cardwell. Shout out to my friend. He kept telling me I had to check out the show. And so finally, I noticed the fact that it was using sports as a vehicle for hijinks. And then I noticed that Dan gives people the license to be themselves. But not only that, he sets an example and shows people that it's okay to look at other people as humans. That really attracted me. And I think for a large part of the audience... Um, that's that's one of the same. You see some of the more rabid fans out there. Not only do they get hyped up when Dan talks about human issues and just preaches the we'll call it the gospel of remembering that the people around us are human beings and are capable of making mistakes, just like you and me. But you see these fans actually take Dan's message to heart, and you can see them going off and doing their own charitable things or working with other ESPN personalities to you know do charity drives for their for the things of their choice. And that really, I think starts to get its anchors
2: into an audience long term. I got I got something from a conversation I was having earlier. I think that us in America right now, you know what I mean, on a serious tip, we need to do a better job of loving and, and respecting each other. You know what I mean, no matter what our beliefs are, whether it's a political party, whether it's religion, none of that stuff really matters in the grand scheme of raising our kids. You know what I mean? I think we should start being better examples all around, but a thing that we could do or implement in these schools is teaching them at a young age, patience teaching them at a young age with the same vigor we teach social studies, with the same teaching, we teach math, the same vigor we teach science, teach a class that, that, that has like patience and, and resolve and, and loving your brothers and sisters and respect. You know what I mean? Because these days are getting kind of out of hand. I don't mean to go too serious, you know what I mean? But I want to just say that we need to do a better job of loving each other, man. So don't let your bias, don't let your uh, political um, allegiance don't let none of this stuff affect how you treat your neighbors and your elders and your and your people. And like it really it re- it will really help the next generation if we show them how to do it. You know what I mean? And events like the, the capital thing, that's that's embarrassing. That Those are thousands of kids, fathers and mothers. <laughs> and those are five, thousands of examples that people are making. No matter their their beliefs, it's just we got to do a better job raising our youth because those are the people who are going to change us, you know, lead us the next generation. Sorry for going serious. It's interesting, Juju, you just hit on something that's worth
0: considering. We've become so divisive in this country that the idea of teaching kindness as a school curriculum is not outlandish to me, right. you know, t- teaching tolerance, teaching, uh, you know, just basically getting along with other people and not being judgmental, and that that's you know that's not a terrible idea. I can think of worse things to to major
1: in in class or at least to, to be required to take is is a course in that interesting concept. That's something else that Dan brings to the tables. These voices he's inviting onto his show
3: and giving license and permission to be themselves on and to, and to give their voice is like. These are the things they're talking about as well, is to love your neighbor, to remember that people are people and we make mistakes, to give people room to breathe and, and be understood and to actually just listen. And I think that's another thing that endears the broader audience as well.
2: Yeah. Hell yeah. But like I saying, back to the um, teaching in school, like I shouldn't know more about John Wilkes Booth and what happened in the theater more than I know how to be patient with my brothers and sisters. You know what I mean? So we should mm-hmm. we should put a foot forward into changing some stuff like that. Right,
0: right. No, that's a that's a very, very valid point. Um and I, I think the lesson I take out of this is that we all need to be a little bit kinder and listen to the Greg Cody Show podcast just a little bit more. The guy, I think we can all <laughs> we can all take that lesson, you know, tuck it under the pillow like a mint and sleep on it. Um on Mystery Crate, I think it was uh, Christopher and Billy who invited on a bunch of Levitard Show super fans onto a Zoom to have a discussion. And I think that was sort of the genesis of the idea that um, you don't have to be a fan alone. You can be a part of a community. And and, and now you see, you know, you have a podcast with uh, another fan of the show. There's Lauer After Hours. You know, my podcast wouldn't exist probably if it weren't for uh, my fans on the Levitard show supporting it and i wonder um what is it about the community the idea that there's strength in numbers that you guys the, the fandom metastasizes because you so many fans know each other and connect with each other
3: all right let me start to answer your question by actually throwing this question over to juju how many friends do you have like in your like physical friends that you would hang out with that know anything about the show
2: oh that's a zero uh uh yeti same here for the most part. I ain't got actual problems. And so, you know what I mean? They don't understand nothing.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that's, I maybe have three, but, everyone I've talked to that I've met on Twitter over the last just over a year, uh, since the fine song came out, um, they are all in very similar situations. They don't have any buddies that actually listen to the show. And another common factor is our spouses for the most part don't like the show either. (laughs) But so, so I think that means when it comes to the online interactions by opening these doors, by having Juju on to form the Lauer Rangers, um, and coined that phrase and having those dinner for schmucks. Um, and then by Christopher being willing to pass on a song that I sent to mike ryan um and then three days later doing the same with with andrew and then Fleming M later and starting the song wars
2: that gave us license to be a part of the show Shouts out to the loud rangers the original loud rangers as fa state size morgan from australia uh my ryan fan account um who else stu uh stu Pop, salute my dog Pop. And if I forgot anybody, I'm so sorry, but I think that's, that's them. Lower Rangers, go, go Lower Rangers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mixtape some sure Shouts out to my family. <laughs> I love y'all. All right.
0: It is a family. I mean, and, and when Levitard uh, goes on and on on the air about how much he appreciates the fans and how amazing they are, he's not kidding. Cause he says that off the air too. He's um, we're always astounded by the loyalty, of the fans and the, and the crowds that come to those Moss Miami events, which I think another one is on the way soon, by the way. And, um, um, wh- what do you guys think of the direction? of the show? And I want to ask you this Yeti, um, because Juju is like paid, <laughs> a paid member of the show now, so I don't want him to answer this, but, um, the show is evolving right now. It- it's trying to figure out how it's, where it's headed and what it's going to be when it gets there. And so there are new voices on the show now, uh, Jessica Smetana and Chris Whittingham, have joined the show, and um, when on Tuesdays when I'm in there, it's a lot of voices. It's a lot of um, things for Dan to fit in, um, and and he's still trying to figure all that out. What as a listener, what do you think
3: of uh, adding people and, and sort of the evolution of the show? So I um I've been really impressed with. The shipping containers um, and Dan and Stu, of course, but like but, but Mike Ryan's, especially Mike's ability to um, just make all of this work. And so speaking specifically about Jessica and Chris joining the show. I feel like they and, and this stood out more with Jessica because I'd, I'd never heard of her before she was just and others Greg right um, and uh, you know I'd heard Chris Whittingham plenty I'd had some exposure to him he had been fo- featured around the show I knew about his relationship with Mike Ryan and they're there you know the Chelsea mic'd up and and uh, so like he felt like a natural transition sure but Jessica like it sounds like she's been in there for five years with those guys already it's, she's it's been, been great. really great and that goes a lot to her and that her personality and being able to what she can bring to the table. But a lot of it is the guys have to allow that too. And uh and they've done great at allowing her the opportunity to breathe and to speak and to play off of any of the 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 foibles that any of us have had. Um and and so I think the both of them, the, the chemistry is instantly there. But that that also goes to I mean I know that I don't know if Mike is the one who says, you know, I am hiring you. I don't know if that's it, but like I know he had a big, you know, a big uh he his thumbprint was all over those hires, but like that's a that's a testament to his um. Eye and ear for talent as well, um, so that's that's been really cool. The the, the shows change overall um, the amount of talent that has gone in from everybody. Uh, Mike mentioned recently, or on an episode of Lauer after that Lauer After Hours, Mike made an appearance, and he says it takes a lot of work to come off this disorganized and, mm. um, and and like but but like they do it so well. The fact that they were able to get that show on the air the next day after leaving ESPN, so that the fans could still have something and wouldn't get worried like that. And it's incredible. The fact that they put on as many shows as they have as regularly as they have is just a testament to an entire team effort that I have no idea how they do it, but, but they do. And that's what, that's another thing that makes them special. Juju. Um, I know you're, you're, you're a company man. Uh, you're, you're on the payroll, but you're still a fan and still an avid listener. What, what's your take on uh, what Greg just asked me about the transition with adding the new voices
2: and the, the change of the show altogether. I love every single thing that Dan has ever done in his entire life. I love every single thing Mike has ever done in his entire life. I love everything that Chris stands for, Whittingham. I love everything that Jessica brings to the show. I love everything that Chris Cody brings to the show. Roy, I love Roy, King Roy. I love his, his, his uh, part in the show. I love Billy. I love everything he brings to the show. I love Stugatz, <laughs> everything he brings to the show. I agree with everything they have ever done and everything they will ever do. I used to be homeless and these people gave me a job. This I can no matter what goes, whatever happens in life, I will always have their backs. And so whatever they decide, man, not only do I believe in it, but I'm going to put 100 percent enthusiasm behind it because I love those brothers.
3: Dan just texted me and said, you read that very well. You're checking.
0: (laughs) But, but but Juju means every bit of it. And I and we all know that. Um, uh, before we move on, I want to say that um, I agree with you guys. I think it, it's amazing how quickly uh, Jessica has uh, fit in so seamlessly. And, um, you know, Dan hires good people. He makes smart hires. He wanted a female voice, and I think he got just the right one. So look, looking forward to uh, seeing how that's going to evolve and, and being a small part of it as well. So now, you know what's ahead. It's Mount Gregmore. And uh, we we have an unusual one this week. Uh, It's uh, the Mount Gregmore of music acts that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but keep getting wrongly snubbed. Uh, Juju, you, of course, would be number one on my list, but thank you. it turns out uh, that uh, you won't be eligible until 25 years after the release of your first album, so you have a little bit of a wait ahead of you. But if I'm alive, then uh, you'll get my vote. Anyway, this Mount Gregmore is in the form of a quiz, because I'm gonna, you know, give my little hints and ask you guys if you know who I'm talking about. So, first, our Honorable Mention. He died in 1967, but in a musical history class in college I learned that this saxophone has pretty much invented freestyle jazz. Miles Davis is in the Hall of Fame. Now it's past time to
2: induct who? Louis Armstrong. <laughs>
1: It's a valid guess, but it's wrong. Wait, is John Coltrane not in the Hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's John Coltrane is the correct answer. He is not in the Hall of Fame. That is a crime against humanity.
2: John Coltrane, who I knew, is this is a crime.
1: Born in Hamlet, North Carolina, by the way. North Carolina proud. How about that? Take your shirt <laughs> off. Rave them over your
2: head like a helicopter.
1: <laughs> you just happen to know the hometown of John Coltrane? I knew it was in North Carolina, but I couldn't remember exactly where, so I had to look it up real quick. Okay, number five. He's once, twice, three times a getting screwed over.
3: It's that's what she said. <laughs>
1: Juju, once, twice, three times a lady. Uh, Pamela Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, with or without the Commodores, it's Lionel Richie.
0: Oh, okay. That was my next guess. All right, number four. It isn't often that someone's major, best-known hit song features werewolves. Michael
2: Jeffrey Jackson.
1: Oh, you know what? That's a good guess because he, he did have a song thriller. We're on z is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You got that right. It's Warren Zevon.
2: He- okay, I called. Yes, you didn't know that. You, you got to, to answer. Are you cheating, Yeti? No, I'm not cheating. I know this stuff. Who the hell is Warren Zibon
3: Ah-hoo! <laughs> Werewolves in London. Yes. Go for it, Greg. Hit us with one. <laughs> hit us with one. Go, your turn. I can't hit those high notes. A-hoo! Little old lady
1: got mutilated late, late last night.
2: night. Never heard.
1: Yeah, white people sing about some weird crap, man. <laughs> <laughs> Warren Zevon, man, you gotta you gotta tap into him, Juju. I need. I'm gonna tap
0: in today. All right, number three, the Rock Hall has blessed certain country stars like Johnny Cash, but not nearly enough. It's time to tell the Hall to roll one and
2: light it up for Willie Jeffrey Nelson. Yes, sir. You got that right, wow, my boy.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I can't believe he's not in the Hall of Fame. All right, number 2. It's super freaky that this
2: funk master isn't in. Funkmaster master Jeffrey Flex. Super freak. It's super freaky Oh, uh, Dave Chappelle, dun, dun. man. Don, don. Ray James. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All
0: right. Okay, this is a hard one. I don't know if you guys are going to get this or not. Number one. The number one rock and roll Hall of Fame snub of all time. Um, the Cleveland Shrine all but ignores reggae, with only Bob Marley and Jimmy Cliff inducted. The next one in line should be the group that literally invented the word reggae. Who is it? Reggaeton. No way others.
3: Nope. No. Nope. Gosh. Yeah, you and now I heard I heard the name on a podcast about a month ago,
1: but I do not remember. Their leader Fred Hibbert died just last September. Father of Roy? Uh no, hardly. <laughs> <enough. laughs> you stumped me on this one, Greg. Okay, it, it's a tough one, but uh, Toots and the
2: Maytals is the name of that group. Okay, look, if someone locked me in a jail cell and said your only key out of here is to name this band that you just asked me, I would be in jail for three life sentences. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) oh man that was a good Mount
3: Gregmore I loved it I I love the trivia aspect of it that's a good that was a good approach the
0: quiz thing did uh, work out pretty well anyway we've had fun today Uh, interesting conversation about the Levitard show phenomenon and other stuff I want to thank again uh, the the young book authors of the stats game for joining us and um, most of all thank you all podcast family you know how much we appreciate you here and uh, Juju thanks for sitting in with us today Yeti as always Christopher will be back uh, in the pod Next week, and uh, we'll see you all then. Bye bye.
5: Um, your, your sentences were re- really well structured. Um, I'm smart too.